beginning in verse 27. <laughs> Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Let's thank the Lord again. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, this is an interesting passage. I'm glad we had last week's passage also to set it up. Uh, it's, it's about, in a sense, sharing this good news, doing the work of the Lord, sharing the good news that we can know God through this Messiah, Jesus. It's about telling about the kingdom of God. And, and so I, I want to spend a little time talking about this idea, something that we call in Christianity evangelism. And there's really kind of four things that we see in the passage, the motivation for evangelism, the problem of evangelism, the scope of evangelism, and the means of evangelism. So last week, we, we did look at the passage that Nathan had read, the first kind of half of this passage, where Jesus engages with this Samaritan woman and totally changes her life. We didn't spend a lot of time on verse 23 last week, but it's, it's an important passage. There's a lot that's been said and thought about it, but it, it, Jesus is saying to this woman, they're talking about which mountain to worship on, and Jesus is saying to this woman, the Father desires that people, true worshipers, people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Again, there's been a lot said about this, a lot written about this. What does this mean? And I think that that this means many things, but one of the things that I think it particularly means is this. He's juxtaposing here what I'm going to call true worship or spirit and truth worship against what I'll call mountain worship, right? The Samaritans, the Jews had their means of worship. This is what you do. You go up on the mountain, you do these things. And of course, Jesus is saying, I'm looking for a different kind of worshiper, 
And what I want to say to you is there is a way to worship God. There is a way to worship God in order to get something from God. It's a priming of the pump. It's, look, I'll do this for you. I'll follow your little order. I'll go up on your mountain. I'll do the things that you want me to do. But if I do this, God, <laughs> you owe me big time. You've got to bless me. You've got to take care of me. You've got to do this for me. This is mountain worship. I'm going to go up on the mountain. I'm going to do these things. And God is going to bless me. And again, we, we have versions of mountain worship today. We aren't worshiping on mountains like they were. But we say, you know, look, I'll attend church. I'll do this thing. I'll go to this class. I'll give enough tithe. I'll obey the Ten Commandments. And then God will bless me. Then God will be with me. You know, some churches even say, look, if you want something, you've just got to worship hard enough, right? Trust God hard enough, worship hard enough, and God will give it to you if you worship enough, if you believe enough. This is mountain worship. There's a way to worship God only because you want something from God, only because you're trying to get something from God. But there's also a way to worship the Lord just because you love the Lord, just because you are delighting in him, just because you have seen his worth. You know, the word worship, it comes from the old English worship, which, which in a sense means this. It's you worship whatever you are ascribing worth to. Whatever is worthy is what you are worshiping, that you are delighting in, that you are enjoying, that you're, that you're praising just because it or he or she, whatever it is, is beautiful. That's spirit and truth worship, right? It's worshiping the Lord just because you have seen that he is true, just because your spirit desires him just because he is beautiful. He is actually worthy of our lives and worship. And so I just would ask you as we get started, is this your worship? Are, are you worship? Are you mountain worship, right? Are you just here because you want God to bless your business, <laughs> right? Are you just here because you want God to kind of protect your family? Are you just here because you, you need God to do something for you? You're rubbing him like a genie lamp today. Or are you here because he is worthy and you're delighted to be here and you're delighted to worship him and you're delighted to think about him? You have seen how good he is. You are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. This passage is saying God is looking for worshipers like that. God is inviting you in. He's showing his beauty to you. He's showing his worth to you so that you'll be a worshiper like that. He's calling you to consider what is actually worthy, what is actually lasting, what is actually grand, and it is him. There's this uh, old Christian song. Uh, I actually heard Jordan's dad talk about this one time, but the song is called Come Christians Join to Sing. Have y'all, any of y'all heard sing that song? It goes like, come Christians join to sing. One of the lines says this. It says, let all with heart and voice before his throne rejoice. And then it says this, praise is his gracious choice. 
Alleluia. Amen. A lot of times when we think about worship or praising the Lord or doing something for God, we think it's our choice, right? I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to do this for God. I like the way this song says it. It says, no, praise for you to get aligned with God, for you to worship God rightly, for you to see the worth of the living God. That's actually grace. That's his gracious choice. That is his gracious invitation. He is inviting you in. You ever go to a great wedding? I'm talking like a great wedding. You love the couple. You love what's happening. You're celebrating with the family. It's beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. And you're just glad you got invited. Like my friend Josh Youssef and his sweet wife Emily got invited to a wedding last year in England. And they had to like wear tuxedos and stuff. And the queen, the queen was at the wedding. They have pictures with the queen. I'm just thinking, man, you got to be cool. I mean, Josh Youssef's really cool. You got to be cool to get invited to a wedding where the queen is there. And I'm sure when they got that invitation, they were like, wow, we're getting invited to this. We get to be invited to this. And if you know Christ, it's an invitation to worship, to rightly see the living God. It's an invitation to ascribe worth to that which is actually worthy. And here's the deal. It's a gracious invitation. Praise is his gracious choice. I'm not here because I'm worshiping to get something. I'm here because I'm not here because I think God will strike me down and I just want him to protect me. No, I want us to be here because we just love God, because we have seen his worth, because we've seen his beauty. Jesus says to this woman who has no pedigree, she's an outcast, she's a Samaritan, she's a woman. She's probably been dealing with anxiety and fear her whole life. I am sure she has gone up on the Samaritan mountain to worship so that God would bless her, so that God would do something for her. She's probably gone up there out of fear because she thought maybe God will strike me down. And here she experiences Jesus. And she goes off worshiping in spirit and in truth. She's changed because she saw the Messiah. She saw how beautiful she was. I love this. This gets to the first point, which is the motivation for evangelism. But look at verse 28. It says, I love it. such a little phrase, but it's fantastic. It says, so the woman left her water jar. Remember last week, Jesus comes to the woman and she just desperately wants this running water. She thought he was talking about running water, water that she doesn't have to keep coming back to the well. She's coming to the well. Then she encounters Jesus. She really encounters the Messiah. And I love this. She forgot her water jar. She totally forgot about the running water. She totally forgot, okay, Jesus, maybe you can give me something that I really need here, this water that's going to come to my house. She forgot all about that. And she runs into the village and just starts telling everyone about Jesus. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is our motivation for evangelism. It's, it's when we really encounter God. But again, of course, evangelism, it can be awkward. It can be hard work. But I want you to consider this woman's motive for sharing. And, and I want to ask, has this happened to you? Have you really encountered the Lord? 
Have you really seen how great he is, how worthy he is? We had our small group this week, and um, one of the guys that's in our group works for Chick-fil-A, and we were just kind of talking about this passage. And, you know, we said, you know, when something great happens to you, it's motivating. It, it moves you to things. It moves you to something. Like I said, look, if, if this guy's in our group, I said, look, if Dan Cathy called you in his office, and I said, if he sat you down and he said, you're the best employee that we've ever had. You're the best. We've never had a guy like you. You've sold more chicken than anybody, you know? And they said, we, we want to hire guys like you. you. We want you on our team. This is who we want. In fact, you know what I'm going to do with you? You do such good work. I'm so honored by the work that you do that I'm going to give you, I'm going to triple your salary, right? If, if, if this guy had just come to our small group from a meeting like that, Guess who's probably going to pick up the tab for the pizza at the small group that night? It's the guy who just got his salary tripled. It's the guy who's just been honored by his boss. Guess who's probably going home that day and he's ready to say something nice to his wife? Guess who's probably going home that day and he's ready to do something special for his kids? Why? Because something great happens to you. You know this. When something great happens to you. It's motivating. It motivates you to action. And I just want you to hear this. If you're in Christ, if God the Father is seeking a worshiper like you, and if you're trusting in Jesus, then he is. He's calling you to himself. Then something great has happened to you. You have received the gracious invitation. You have gotten an invitation to this wedding, to the wedding of Christ. But here's the deal. The amazing thing about the gospel is you're not just invited to the wedding as a guest to attend the wedding. You're actually invited to the wedding as the guest of honor. You're invited to the wedding as the bride. You're invited to the wedding to become a part of the family, to know and experience the Father as Jesus has. This is a gracious invitation. And it's incredibly motivating for evangelism. Jesus says here, it's food. It's food. When, when, when I get to do the work of the Father, when I get to do what the Father has sent me to, it is like food to me. It's filling to me. You know, some of you have experienced that. And what a, what a wonderful time of singing we just had. And I love seeing you guys digging in, singing praise to the Lord. And for, and for many of you, that's filling to you. You're, you're so grateful to be a part of that. I just, I was talking to a, a friend of mine that hadn't been, her, her church has been closed the, for the pandemic and her church just opened. She said, man, I went, I worshiped the Lord and I cried. It was so filling. You've experienced this. When you get to engage with the Lord and worship him, it's filling. You know, some of you, I'm amazed at how you serve. Like Jim Hogue, I'm seeing him back here. Jim Hogue led hands team here, setting up all the stuff for like two years. He led every week and he's still here volunteering all the time. Why does he do that? You know why I think? It's filling. He's doing what the, he's like Jesus. He's doing what God has told him to do. It's, his, it's food to him. It's delightful to him. And in the same way, when you get to tell someone, if you've really experienced God and you get to tell someone about it, you get to talk to somebody about it, you get to talk to them about the hope that we have in Christ. It's food. It's filling. It's satisfying. But the second point here, there's a, there's a problem to evangelism. These are a lot of Samaritans. 
They have their own traditions. They have their own things that they believe. And I think in a pluralistic culture like ours, it can be easy to say, you know what? Maybe, I mean, I'm happy to be a Christian. I'm happy to be here in worship, but maybe I should just kind of let them believe what they believe and I'll believe what I believe. Why, why do I have to tell people about what I believe? Why do I have to make a big fuss over this? You know, we live, as you know, <laughs> in this cancel culture, right? And basically, if anyone says something that you disagree with, that you don't like, you cancel them, right? You, you, you quit following them on Twitter, right? You, you, you get away from them. You don't listen to them. They have no more influence in your life. We're like that. You know, we, we all have our own news station, right, that we want to reaffirm our worldview. We have Twitter feeds that we really like. You know, we have the friends that we, we have maybe have some other friends, but these are the friends that we only really talk to about deep stuff because they're going to keep affirming what we believe. People even have their own churches, right? I want a church where they just, <laughs> they say what I like to hear, right? When uh, I was a kid, there was this doll. I think we have a picture of it. Uh, it was the My Buddy doll. I asked, I asked Brandon Lopez, who, I mean, he's probably 24, 25. Uh, I said, do you remember My Buddy? He goes, no. So you kind of had to be a child of the 80s, right? You know, children of the 90s were probably more well-adjusted than we were. But we, we had My Buddy dolls. I didn't have one. I, I think my parents... We're probably good parents and didn't get this for me, but maybe some of you, they wanted me to actually go make friends, but some of y'all maybe had some My Buddy dolls. And, you know, there, there was this little theme song, you know, wherever I go, he goes, you know, my buddy. And, I, you know, I kind of think that, you know, people want <laughs> my buddy today. We, we don't want to be challenged, right? I think some people want a pastor like my buddy, right? Wherever I go, he goes. Whatever I say, he says. This is the world we live in. We're unwilling to be challenged. We're unwilling to listen to another perspective. We're unwilling to, to really be confronted with something else to consider. And look, I just want to say as your pastor, I want to be your friend. I want to be your buddy. But my job here is to speak on behalf of a living God. And I just want to tell you this. If we're really hearing from the Lord, he is going to say things that confront us, that challenge us, that's not, that are not always going to reaffirm the way we see the world. And I just want to say this to you. If, if God to you only, if you're God... <laughs> is only saying what you like to hear. If, you, if God never says anything that you don't like, then you likely have a my buddy doll and not a real God. You likely have this imaginary little idol that you take around with you and wherever you go, he goes, wherever you say, he says. But that's not who the living God is. Sometimes the Lord says things that are incredibly encouraging and delightful and good to hear. But sometimes the Lord says things that are hard to hear, but they, we need to hear them because they are true, because they are right. And, and look, God is not a figment of our imagination. God is definite. There is a God. 
And, and if we want our friends, people we love to know him, we can't just say, look, whoever he is to you. No, that, 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 that's a word. God is definite. He's more definite than you are. He's more real than you are. And unless he has spoken, unless he's revealed himself to him, which of course we believe he has, then we cannot know him. We, we do not get to define the terms of God. If you think that, then you then you in that scenario are more powerful than God. That kind of thinking is, is what we looked at last week when I quoted David Foster Wallace. It's this wrong assumption that you are in the center of the universe, that you are living in, again to quote David Foster Wallace, a skull-sized kingdom. And you can go on living in that skull-sized kingdom where you're just reaffirming what you like to hear, or you can be confronted with truth. You can be confronted with what God has revealed. You can be confronted with who God is. God is not imaginary. He is definite. And we need his truth. Now, some of you hear this, and, you know, another bad part of you kicks in, and you're like, oh, yeah, people need truth. And you get your Bible verse machine gun out. And you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to mow some people down with the truth of God's word, right? Well, that's why we need the third point, which is the scope of evangelism. Jesus gives this really beautiful picture here about harvesting. It's helpful. Sowing and reaping. Now, not many of us are farmers. Uh, you know, we are either the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, sometimes great-great-grandchildren of the folks that got rid of the farm, that moved off the farm. But farming... It's not something that's instantaneous, right? You don't just go out to a field and say, produce fruit. You know, it doesn't happen that way. You have to plant. You have to, well, first of all, you have to prepare the soil, right? You have to fertilize the soil. You have to plant the seeds, and not every seed takes. And you have to water the soil. You have to water the seeds. You have to pray for sunlight. You have to pray for rain. You have to kill the bugs. You have to, you have to weed the weeds. And, and if all of this happens rightly, fruit eventually comes. But this is a helpful picture. Harvesting. And, and so often, this is what evangelism is like. It's a, it's a long process. It's a tedious process. There have been people that I have been praying for for years that God would move in their lives they would come to see the truthfulness of God. And that has not happened yet. There's still more sowing that I need to do. There have been other times in my life where I've literally just immediately shared somebody in my faith and they've immediately believed. I have some amazing stories where that's just been the case. And, and I was just there at the right time. I have other times where I've kind of caught somebody in the middle um, of that process. But this is, this is a good analogy. It's harvesting. It can be frustrating. It requires patience. It requires persistence. Here's what it, here's the deal. It requires love. It requires a true love for God and for a true love and a true love for the people that he is inviting to himself. But one of the things that's fascinating about this passage is Jesus says to, in this moment, that the harvest is here and that the harvest is plentiful. And what he is saying in this, this woman and countless others like her, these Samaritan people that are coming out, that are hearing Jesus and they're believing, they're saying, we were waiting on the Messiah. 
We wanted salvation. We wanted someone who could lead us back to God. They've heard prophecies about the Messiah. They, they've seen signs that the Messiah would come. And now it's harvest time. Now the Messiah is here. And many people are believing. And I just want to say, I want to stop right here and say to you, there may be some people here today. You are here right now. And today, today is the day of harvest for you. Today is the day for you to trust in Christ, to really put your faith in Jesus, to really delight in him, to believe that he is the Lord, to believe that in him you can actually know God. You've been, you've been investigating, you've been coming around, people have been praying for you. Today is the day of harvest here. I just invite you to trust in Christ, to give your life to him. And this leads to the fourth point, which is the means of evangelism. And maybe we should have started with this, you know, this question, what is evangelism? And, and really, it's this idea about spreading the good news, sharing the good news, that, that a Savior, a Messiah has come that can lead us back to God. We can have salvation. We can know God through Jesus. Now, some of you may be sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Jason, let me, let me stop you. Let me, let's kind of want to have an honest moment. I don't really identify with this Messiah language. I mean, I didn't grow up a Samaritan, right? I didn't grow up a Jewish person. I'm not really reading Messianic prophecies, right? I'm not really thinking about who the Messiah is. Is this message really for me? All of these people were looking for a Messiah. I understand that. But I don't know if I am. Some of you may be in that moment. We had a great conversation on Thursday night at the Spotted Cow. Uh, it's this men's event that we do. It was wonderful. We talked about time, and it began, Jason Byers read this passage about, uh, it was from C.S. Lewis from Screwtape Letters, and it was about how we as humans are always thinking about the past, or we're always thinking about the future. It's very hard, actually, for us to be in the present, we're not thinking enough about the present, or we're not thinking enough about who we are in eternity, who we are when all has been made right with God. And, and him reading that passage actually made me think of this, this line that is interesting. It's, uh, it's from the old Hemingway book, The Sun Also Rises. And uh, Jake Barnes is the protagonist. It's a fascinating old book. Um, but anyway, Jake Barnes, the protagonist, there's a line in there where he says, it's easy for a man to be hard-boiled in the daytime, but at night, it's a different story. Now, Hemingway, of course, is writing this before we could watch TV until we fall asleep at night or endlessly scroll through our phones. What he's saying is this. When you have to be alone with yourself, just in the present moment, when you have to lay in bed alone at night, in that moment, in that very present moment, are you really settled, you know? Are you really at peace? Are you really settled? I think this is, again, why we're always scrolling through our phones or watching TV or trying to do something to distract us. Can you really be present? Or are you always thinking off to the future? I'm going to do this. This is what the C.S. Lewis quote was. 
I, I have to do this. I'll do this. And then I'll be happy. I'll get there then. I'll get there then. I'll do it then. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be at peace. Or are you always anxious about something or worried about something? Are you, are you meditating on a mistake you made in the past? Can you actually be present? It's easy for a man to be hard-boiled in the daytime when he's got a lot to do and he's busy and he's this task and that task, but it's a different story at night. And I, I think that what I'm appealing to you right now is you may not think that you need a Messiah, but you do. You need someone to settle you that will actually settle you, that will actually give you a confidence and an identity. That unsettling, that anxiety, that fear, that always thinking about the future, that's always putting your hope in things that end up short-lived. That's actually the need for Messiah that's in your life. You're looking for something to settle you, to give you purpose and meaning. You're looking for an anchor of truth. You're looking for something that even though everything is going crazy around you, you can say, it is well with my soul. You're looking for forgiveness, for justification, for something or someone that says your life matters. Now, I know you may be thinking, okay, maybe I am looking for a Messiah, but how could this be this guy that lived 2,000 years ago. Like, what does this even mean? How does this even make sense? And what Christians believe, this is why this makes so much sense, is that Jesus, this, this guy that we hope in so much, we believe that he actually was God. He was God who became a man to identify with us. Some of you have maybe heard the Jesus story and it's just too simplistic, right? How could this have been God? If God really came to earth, it would be bigger. It would be, it would be this magnificent thing. This is just these simple stories of this guy that lived his life and did a few miracles. Well, that's the point. Jesus came to identify with you. He came to be like you. He didn't come in this grand way. He came doing normal stuff. He really had a mom. He really had a dad. He really had brothers and sisters. He really had friends. He really had to work. As the old catechism says, Jesus faced all the miseries of this life. <laughs> he really got hungry. He really got cold. He really felt sadness. He really felt pain. He experienced it all. He was really tempted in every way. That Jesus identifies with you. Jesus came to identify with you so that you could identify with him and that through him you could identify with God. You might be saying, okay, what does this mean to identify with Jesus and identify with God? How does, how's that practical? And I would just say that's the most practical thing ever. Everything that's happened in my entire life has happened because I've identified with someone. That's how I got into anything. That's how I built any relationship. You know what? You know why I went to Auburn? right? Because my dad went to Auburn. And in a sense, I followed my dad to Auburn. It's years later. But I was so identified with him. I wanted to be like him that I was like, I'm going to go do this. It's because I identified with him that I wanted to do that. And that's true of everything. You know, when I got in my fraternity, what I do, I met some guys, I identified with them, I liked them, and I wanted to get in. And then they identified with me and they got me in. When I got my jobs, any jobs that I've gotten, I go to an interview, you identify with someone. They like you. They advocate you with you before the company. And they say, hey, he needs to be in the company. He needs to get in. Let's get this guy in. How did I even marry Paige? 
Paige wouldn't have married me if she just like looked at me, you know? I had to have an advocate. I had to have some friends saying, hey, he's not half bad. He's a good guy. You should maybe give him a chance. And she did. Everything that's ever happened in my entire life has happened to me because somebody's identified with me, they've advocated for me, and they've opened doors for me. And this is what a relationship with Jesus is. He's come to identify with you so you can know him. You can really experience him. He's come for a relationship. And then he advocates for us. It's the amazing thing about Jesus. He doesn't just identify with you. He then advocates for you. In a sense, right now, if you're in Christ, Jesus, who is, has, who is totally loved and accepted by his Father, total righteousness, is looking at his Father, and he's showing him his nail-scarred hands, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to vouch for this guy. I'm going to vouch for this gal. I want them in. They're, they're, they're a part of the family. They're, they're a part of us. And when you believe that that's happened, that you could actually worship God in spirit and truth, not because you've done the right things on the mountaintop, <laughs> not because you've always behaved, because you're never going to do that, not because you've always practiced everything perfectly, but you believe that you have a standing before God because Jesus came to identify with you so that you could identify with him, so that through him, our great advocate, you can know God. When you believe that... That'll settle your soul. That'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. That'll make you be able to sing, sing the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and actually mean it. That's what it, that's what it means to become a Christian. To identify with Christ. To believe that he came to identify with you. To identify with him. And then to believe that he is an advocate for you. And then to follow him. And what does it mean to identify with him? It means to be a disciple. It means to turn away from, from ways that are against him and to follow his way, to follow what he says is true and what he says is right. And so I want to give you an opportunity here. If you all, if you all just, let's just bow our heads together in this moment. And just still your heart right now. And I just want to ask you, we're not praying yet. Your, your heads are just bowed. Have, have you identified with Jesus? Have you identified with Jesus? Are you, are you looking to him as your advocate before God? You were made to know God. And the only way, in a sense, the only way to get a job at this company, the only way to get a date with this girl, the only way to get in with the Lord is through his son, Jesus. Have you, have you trusted in Jesus fully? Are you resting in him? And if not, then right now, I'm just going to give you a quiet moment, and I just want to ask you, in your own words, just ask God to give you faith. Tell God that you believe. Tell God that you want to follow Jesus. Just in this moment right now, just confess, submit those things, just confess any sins to the Lord. And just say, I, I trust that even despite my sin, you love me in Christ, that I have an advocate who died for my sin. Just confess these things to the Lord. I just want to give you a few moments.
Father, we want to be a people that know you and that know you in this, through this good news that the Messiah has come, that salvation is here, that we can actually know you and be restored to you. So Lord, I pray that you would just lift our faith toward Christ, that we would trust in him, that we would believe in him, that we would follow him. Give us obedient and faithful hearts, Lord, not in order to find your favor, but because you've given us favor in Christ, because we've received the gracious invitation. Help us now, Lord, to follow you as an act of worship, a living sacrifice for you, Father. We pray all of this in our Savior's name, our Messiah's name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we close today, identifying with Jesus is not just something that we do one time. It's something that we always do. It's something that we continue to do as Christians. We're so, we're so tempted in, in day-to-day life, even though we know that Jesus is Lord, even though we know he's the only true advocate, we're so tempted to find our identity, our life, our purpose, our peace, and so many different things. And so God has graciously given. Another gracious invitation of God is communion, is the communion service. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread before his disciples and he broke it. He said, this bread, it's a representation of my body. I want to show you how much I love you. I want to show you how willing I am to advocate for you that I'm going to go to a cross for you. My body is going to be broken. My blood is going to be spilled. And when you eat this bread, when you drink this wine that represents these things, he said this, do this in remembrance of me. And in a sense, he's saying, do this to identify with me. Do this to remember that your true hope is in me. And so I want to invite you, if you are a believer here today, if you have trusted in Christ, if you have made that publicly known that I am identifying with Jesus, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And if you haven't, if today was the day of salvation for you, then I would love you even during this time or after the service, I'm going to be standing over here to find me. Let's talk about what next steps are. Let's talk about how to make that public, how to start following the Lord. The next step for many of you, is baptism. To, is it's a way that we identify with Christ and let that to be publicly known. But I'd love to have that conversation with you. But for, for all of us, if you have identified with Christ, let's identify with him again today as we take this meal. So as our deacons are coming forward, uh, just hold on to these elements. We'll take them corporately here in a few moments. And again, if you're not a believer, if you've, if you've maybe faith is emerging in your heart, but you've never let that be known, just just let the elements pass today. We're so glad you're here, but just, you know, you can hold your hand over your heart or just kind of hold out a hand and the guys will just pass by. There's no embarrassment in that. But I invite you to take these elements, hold on to them as we sing, and then we'll take them here corporately in a few moments.